Guys, listen to this. Do you know anything about dual sidewall design? Whisper grooves, earth diggers, or three-peak mountain certification? The Discover Rugged Trek Tire from Cooper has all of that and more. The unique dual sidewall design looks great and gives drivers the options for wear. Whisper Groove technology blocks air from whistling through the tire, keeping that road noise where it belongs, outside. And if you find yourself out mudding with your friends, the earth diggers are large scoops and blocks on the side of the tire that act like cogs in a gear to help you dig in the loose dirt, sand, and mud, giving you traction on the trail. All of this has earned the Rugged Trek a three-peak certification. Confidence that it has the goods to back up the looks. All Cooper tires are backed by a limited warranty, a 45-day test drive warranty, and select products are backed by Treadwear Mileage Warranty, helping to give you confidence on the road. For complete product and warranty details, please visit www.coopertires.com or www.coopertires.ca. And remember, go with the Coopers. Friends, hello and welcome back to another episode of the Crash Course Podcast. This is DJ joined uh, very specially. This is a podcast debut by a guy who we work with just about every day, uh, Matt Golden. If you don't know that name, you've probably seen him credited in uh, many, many, many of our videos since the beginning of time when we started doing videos. Matt, how are you? Where are you coming from today? And uh, how are you again? Hey, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, out from behind the editing machine in front of the microphone, ready to talk about something really special in Aaron Hills. Coming to you from just outside of Athens, Georgia. And I mean, I'll disclose it. It's my house. It's my home office. So, <laughs> Perfect. Well, like I said, I'm sure people have probably seen your name if they're uber familiar with No Laying Up, but might not know a ton about you. What's the uh, Give the people a little bit of background. We're going to do the abbreviated Aaron Hill story. What's what's the abbreviated Matt Golden story here? Oh my gosh. I wish my story was any bit as interesting <laughs> as the Aaron Hill story. No I murders heard... in the backstory. No, yeah, no yeah. deeds changing hands. Wildly obsessive, you know, <laughs> $20 million lost. No, it's exactly. really, uh, you know, from here in Atlanta, went to school in Auburn, go Tigers and kind of figure out a a way to mix golf with being creative and being technical and editing, but also telling stories. So yeah, man, pumped to, uh, pumped to kind of do what I love every day. You know, don't take that for well, granted. I love it. Matt and I met randomly via email. I think we get a, not to brag, we get a, a first sizable amount of emails from people so that mean. are like, Hey, Hey, you know, I'd love to help. I'd love to be involved. Just let me know. And Matt had the the key, uh, he could not have said a better thing at a better time, which was my specialty is just taking a big pile of unorganized footage uh, and trying to spin it into a story. I was like, oh my God, that is exactly what we need right now because we have no fucking idea what we're doing. So Matt started helping us. I believe the first things were Tourist Sauce Season 1 in Australia, and uh, we have been very lucky to work with him ever since uh, and we're as we're getting ready to work on tour sauce season seven here shortly so matt let's get into it the reason that you are here today this was a great idea by cody uh we were doing our weekly video meeting and uh you mentioned offhand that you had a trip coming up to aaron hills matt we should mention a good player in his own right and 
Cody was kind of like, hey, DJ, you know, you're the one that's always raving about Aaron Hills, right? I was like, yes, can't say enough good stuff about Aaron Hills. He's like, all right, when Matt gets back, you guys definitely need to do a Crash Course podcast about it because no one else has played it. No one else knows what you're talking about. Matt, now you're, you're officially, I, you know, we've talked a little bit about it, but it sounds like you've kind of seen the light on this place that most people know for a relatively boring U.S. Open. But talk to me about the, the context of why you were there and what your initial impression was of Aaron Hills. Yeah, honestly, the context, I, I, you know, it was like a week before we went and I had no idea I was going to go visit Wisconsin the next week. Uh, <laughs> my buddy was like, hey, I'm, I'm going to check this place out. And I'm like, cool, I've got some sky miles to kill and I will be there. Perfect. Uh, what, so I was like, what time's our tea time? In extremely quick trip, flew up on a Wednesday, flew back on a Thursday afternoon. But overall impressions, like... I mean, we'll we'll get into it, but the overall scale of the place is it just makes you feel small in a really cool way. Can't, it can't be overstated how big it is. Yeah. It, and it, it it feels like it is the entire state of Wisconsin while you're out there. And, and then they tell you, you know, like the golf course is a third of the property they have. Yes, and yeah, your exactly. mind is blown. Overall, it's probably the most land movement I've seen on a course in the States. Mm-hmm. I haven't been to Ireland or Scotland or anything yet, but just some general themes like the land movement was something I look back on today. It's like, that's more like hiking on a couple of those holes than not an easy walk. Yeah, for sure. It's a blast. A couple of kind of demographic details, I guess we'll call them just as far as location. We're talking uh, about what is about 45 minutes or so Northwest of Milwaukee, fairly accessible place for how remote it actually feels when you, when you get out there. It's a lovely drive too. It's that's exactly what I was going to say. One of the most beautiful drives, like, like just completely idyllic. Right. And and when we were there, uh, it sounds like you got this as well, but I went up there with my dad just for background and it was, I think about 38 degrees when we teed off and about 25 mile an hour winds, uh, sustained, not a lot of, not a lot of, uh, trees out there to block what's going on. It's, it's pretty much you versus the elements. So even with that, just a completely idyllic drive, you're winding through small towns. There's, there's lakes and ponds and rivers everywhere, beautiful trees. I mean, it's just like a. I don't usually point that out as like one of my big takeaways, but just a absolutely gorgeous drive. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I've, I haven't spent any time in Milwaukee or anything. That part of the country was really cool to see. I think the other thing we got to dive into is probably the history of the place. And I, I want to get in front of this first and say, I, you know, I have no delusions of of trying to tell the entire history of Aaron Hills. I know I mentioned this in the video uh, version that we did, uh, which Matt edited, I believe. But the the video version of of the crash course we did on Aaron Hills, there's an excellent, I believe, seven part series by Gary D'Amato of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, who it, I mean, it, it's a newspaper story, but it's essentially a book. It's it's like 60,000 words. It took me forever to actually read through this thing the first time. Matt, did you read this? Do you know what I'm talking about? I did. Yeah. And I sent it to my buddy who was going up with me and. The amount of context this, like, first of all, yes. you know, it takes like an hour and a half to read. It's, <laughs> it's not a quick read. Yeah. The amount of context it shed on the course and on the experience and the people there, like it made it so much more than just visiting a high end course where you go pay your fee and go play and have a cool caddy or whatever. It's like, okay, there's, there's a story and a history and you can see why this land was so interesting to so many people. And a hundred percent. 
Yeah. And so th this was a highest, highest recommendation of, of reading. If you've been to Aaron Hills or if you haven't been to Aaron Hills or if you're thinking about going, or if you're not thinking about going, I mean, it's a, it's a geology lesson. It's a, uh, sociology lesson. It's, it's everything, man. It's, it's, uh, it's really, really well done. All the props in the world to Gary D'Amato for, for doing that. But the incredibly high level couple bullet point background on Aaron Hills, Essentially, it all revolves around a guy named Bob Lang. And Matt, it's probably been more recent that you've read this story than I have. So please feel free to correct me or, or heat check me on any of this stuff. But as I remember it, Bob became obsessed with the idea of building a golf course to host a U.S. Open after, I believe, attending the 2000 U.S. Open at Pebble Beach is, I think, yeah. where yeah. it all started. And uh, which is, you know, if you can't really get uh, bitten by the golf bug at the 2000 U.S. Open at Pebble Beach. Uh, yeah, I don't really know what to tell you. But after that, Bob, uh, who you know was from this area of the country, gets totally obsessed with this idea of I'm going to build a golf course. I'm going to host a U.S. Open. Which, if you know anything about the golf industry, U.S. Open venues, politics, how all these things happen, like that's among I would say the more laughable sentences you could possibly say. It's just like, yeah, no, I'm gonna. I know I'm an outsider, but I'm just going to infiltrate uh, the bluest of blue bloods. I'm going to build a new course, and they're going to host their most prestigious championship at it. So the fact I, you know, the story doesn't doesn't really end well for Bob. But the the fact that that was the goal, and that he, I mean, for all intents and purposes, he literally did it is unbelievable. Well, <laughs> like, before, that, that, can't, uh, that can't be overshadowed. Yeah, yeah. And before you know, Chambers was this one of the the first time or the one of the first ever right. modern course has been built for this purpose and it actually totally. happened. It worked. I know <laughs> it's, it's, it's absolutely insane. So, uh, Bob finds some funding for this course with, with another business partner. Uh, he brings in all the big name architects. Uh, he passes on all of them. Alleged. I think I remember there was, wasn't there a Doak routing for it? I think Doak was attached to it at first. And he, Does Doak he, ended up this, he says there's a lot, a lot of courses, but he's, uh, he sketched a thousand holes on this property. Did you hear that? Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Would love exactly. to see that. Would love, to see, Would love that. to see that as well. And and this is the whole thing about Aaron Hills is, I mean, they have, it looks like they have room for about 15 more golf courses. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's a, a couple of those thousand that, that could probably be recycled for another course, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, instead, they go with the relatively unknown trio at the time of Michael Hurston, Dana Fry, and Ron Witten. Things kind of stall out a little bit. Uh, it sounds like, you know, there were... No real shovels in the ground for, for quite a while. But finally, they get you know they get the funding right, they get the timing right, and the course starts moving. Bob somehow meets. I believe this was at the 2014 U.S. Open. Somehow meets the right people at the USGA, convinces them to come take a look. They love the land. They're obsessed with the vision. They agree to give him the 2011 U.S. Amateur, which this is always a cool thing. I, I love when the USGA does that. Is kind of using the AM as as a test case for you know, new courses. I know Chambers Bay and Aaron Hills are kind of the only great examples of that, but I, I, I love when they do that. That's, that's such a cool little wrinkle. So as you know, again, we're, we're skipping through a, a massive amount of, a massive amount of history here. There's a murder involved with a business partner. It's just, there's, there's a lot that, that goes into the story. Again, please go read the full thing. But Bob kind of, you know, goes off the deep end, I guess we'll say, trying to, tweak the golf course, trying to put more of his own money into it, trying to just make it as good as it possibly can be, uh, and and kind of becomes 
by all reports, a bit of a, an obsessive to the point where he's out there with shovels, moving bunkers and just really doing uh, the kind of the kind of stuff that that architects are really not looking for from an owner. Eventually, he runs out of time. He runs out of money. Uh, it just, you know, he kind of has chased this thing into the deepest depths of his obsession uh, and is forced to sell. Sells the golf course to a guy named Andy Ziegler, who the the story, you know, and and all accounts kind of paint as as basically the fixer here. I mean, I think I, I forget a little bit of what his actual background was, but you know, had a ton of means to actually make the course exactly what it needed to be. They needed to kind of rapid fire do a bunch of stuff before the 2011 USAM just to get the course playable, uh, which he does. He brings in the right people, gets everything knocked out. 2011 USAM goes off without a hitch for the most part. And uh, eventually they, you know, they're able to make good on their offer to host a 2017 U.S. Open. And then, unfortunately, the wind doesn't blow and everybody thinks it's a boring course and it creates kind of an identity crisis for the USGA. And uh, it's, you know, debatable whether they'll ever have another major championship. So it's it's just a it's a fascinating story made even more fascinating by what happened in 2017, I think. And yeah. Anything to add there? Yeah, you know, a couple things about Bob Lang. So they also in in 08 hosted the women's pub links. Right. And I think they were really pushing to have a playable golf course at that point. And you kind of the fairways were I think they were talking about their ground under repairs, like they ran out of spray paint, spray paint cans with all the right. ground under repairs they were trying to put all over the place. And the course like evolved so massively from 19 holes to a par 75 to all these different routings that they actually went out and built. But yeah, he's out there with shovels, you know, kind of doing his own thing after he's fired everybody else. And, but yeah, like Mike Davis came back before, uh, I guess it was before the AM in 2011, you know, Hey, I think you should make these couple changes, you know, these couple tweaks maybe for infrastructure or these service roads or whatever, you know, they estimated it was like a couple hundred thousand dollar job and he goes out and takes a $2.6 million loan to go above and beyond truly. So, you know, just, yeah, kind of hearing how he uh, kept entangling himself with massive amounts of debt was pretty, pretty jarring. But again, uh, the fact that any of this even happened in the first place is outrageously unlikely and uh, impressive. And it's just a, it's a, I don't know, man. It, there's some drama in the story. So again, for the fifth time, go read the background. Yeah. That's about as good as we can do on the history, I think, recounting it. But And I should say, before we get uh, too far, I know I, I mentioned, I, I was more specifically talking about men's major championships. They are set to host the 2022 U.S. Mid-Am next year and also the 2025 U.S. Women's Open, which should be really awesome as well. It'd be cool to see how that that scale of the game kind of fits a big place like that. And on that note, let's jump into the app, you know, the actual golf course. I know you mentioned the scale, the land movement. I think those are two kind of, you know, things that will jump out at you at, you know, any golf course that has those two things. But what what else did you find really unique about it or what else kind of stuck with you? First of all, tell me what you think about this. I thought the course was so difficult. Oh, yeah. I thought it was especially, so hard. especially in those conditions. Yeah, but, yeah. That, that didn't help. You know, our conditions, it was how how far did you play? I mean, what tees did you guys we play? We played the Blues uh, 7,100 yards, yeah. and it was raining. It was upper 60s. 
that was the one thing where I, I was very thankful, and I know this is a theme throughout our videos, but with how brutal the conditions were, with how cold it was, with how much wind yeah. there was, I think my dad and I were both like, let's play it. I think we played it up at, I don't know, probably, I don't know what the different tee boxes are, but probably 63, 64, yeah. something like that. And from there, I was like, oh, wow, it's like pretty wide and fun. And you don't have to hit a lot of drivers. And like, yeah. I had a blast. If I was playing it back where you played it, I would have shot 150. And I, I would completely agree with everything you're saying. I, I definitely get why you felt that way. But overall, like I thought it was really difficult because the turf and conditioning is was incredible. And mm -hmm. Mike Davis back, you know, in the early 2000s was insistent on fescue fairways. If it's going to look linksy, like let's make it linksy. Our caddy John actually told us they just transitioned over to bent fairways and the fairways were just pure, like so firm. You know, it's that kind of pure where you can hit 50 and 60 yard pitches and you don't even like touch the ground like you don't even <laughs> right <laughs> bruise the ground at all and yeah so you know you get out there and you're like okay you know maybe the ball's gonna run which in the fairways it did and that's a huge part of how tee shots react around there but approach shots it's an aerial ball game for a lengthy yeah. looking course and i think yeah it kind of messes with your head a little bit i think number totally. one we'll get into a whole one but it's like the only approach where you could see a second shot kind of rolling up on the green. Everything else is pushed up greens, huge false fronts, the craziest bunkers you've ever seen guarding every, you know, inch in front of the green. So the hardest course I've ever played, I think, bar none. Which is cool to hear that many people thought it was too easy for the US Open. It's, it's, good. Yeah. <laughs> it's good to hear. I can't wrap that my head around that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm sure that the pro game and the amateur game will not continue to further divide. I'm sure that problem will totally take care of itself. But uh, speaking on the U.S. Open real quick, I mean, what yeah. did you have any? Do you remember watching a lot of the U.S. Open that week? And did you have any more appreciation, any more understanding of kind of what went on that week after playing it? Yes. So one of the big things I want to talk about is tee shots and mm -hmm. Because of the land movement, I kind of, they look like ski slopes almost. You know, a lot of yeah. these fairways, you're you're hitting over the ski slope. And if you hit the right distance, you can get one yard of rollout or a hundred yards, like literally. <laughs> and so what I, the only memory, memory I have was Brooks Kepka, like, it looked like he was driving all these greens just because, you know, get it over these slopes and the ball's funneling down to a little pitch to the green. And I'm like, you get out there and that is, <laughs> that's not it at all. And, uh, yeah, that's not the typical user experience. Yeah. And the fescue, um, you know, the fairways are really, really, really wide, but when you play it at the length, we all hit it kind of normal off the tee and mm -hmm. the bunkers are positioned to where, you know, okay, we're going to, it's going to shrink the fairways automatically. And then there's so much like can't and tilt in these fairways. Like on the first hole, we my partner and I both hit the middle of the fairway and ended up in the left rough. So it's like, okay, we really, you know, you have to focus on the right spot in the fairway. Furthermore, you get into the fescue and yeah, you know, okay. Yeah. I'll go find my golf ball. No, you might not. <laughs> you know? and Shout you out might, to Kevin Knopf. That was yeah. one of my most memorable, uh, memorable 
you know, experiences of that 2017 U.S. Open was the the Instagram video of Kevin Na dropping balls <laughs> and trying to hack him out and being so just despondent about how thick the rough was. And then, of course, they went out and then cut it the next day, right yeah. before the championship. Started. Oh yeah, the weed whackers were out. But yeah, you know, you get burned a couple times on those first holes, and you're like, oh man, I'm in the fescue. I can't. You know, it's a one, one and a half, two stroke penalty being in here. Yeah. It makes the whole course feel more claustrophobic now. This huge fairway now feels like if I miss it, it's like it's an island fairway almost. Yes, that's well said. Um, yeah, it almost feels like playing desert golf in a way. Yeah, right? exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, um, but no, it is, the strategy was all over the place. It wasn't, you know, just bash driver all day. It was if you can get to these certain runouts or these speed slots, like you're going to have a little pitch in or you'll have 180 in if you're up on top of this hill. And it was, it was crazy. The, uh, the shot that stuck with me the most was, and probably the most famous from that week was the JT three wood on, on 18, the day he shot yeah. 63, where what did he had like 295 or 305 or something like that. And just seeing, Again, I'm guessing he would tell you he probably wasn't aiming directly at that flag, but just seeing where the, we had the same pin and just seeing where that flag was, yeah, and just what that what that shot looks like, like God, you want to talk about them like playing a different sport than what yeah. we're playing? Like it, it was that looked physically impossible standing there where where he hit that shot from. Two things about that marker: they have their little shamrock marker out there, which is classy. You know, it doesn't have to say it's great. Justin great Thomas hit yeah, this yeah. three wood. No, it's you know it, exactly. A, the amount of divots that are like to the left of it, <laughs> it's pretty funny seeing all the, you know, all the buddies trips coming through trying to hit their three wood up there. Secondly, that green is, I mean, so hard. Arcadis, I, I like, like five putted that green. Yeah. If you miss short, you know, you're in a 12 foot bunker. Yeah. Oh, if that wraps all the way around to short left behind, like if you want to bail out, sure, you can go right. And there's this huge swale you have to contend with, but and you're good. You're going to three putt. You just, you just don't, you just can't miss. And from yeah. two ninety seven or nine or whatever, like <laughs> yet our caddy was telling us too. He's like, he hit three wood off the tee there. I guess the tee was moved up a little bit. I think, mm-hmm. um, he's like, yeah, he hit three wood off the tee here because it has grooves and he was able to, you know, like spin it a little bit. So it stops before this bunker. Who's to say, who's to say, what uh let's get into kind of specific holes what yeah. what were some that really stuck with you what what uh any you didn't like what was your what was your kind of you know review of of some of the holes out there yeah yeah so one uh is a great introduction nice handshake you know a medium length par five that um you get in the fairways and you feel these slopes but then you're kind of revealed like all these micro contours in the fairways too and yeah, you're you're just not going to have an even lie, and so you're you're kind of <laughs> hit in the face with that at first. Two was one of my favorite holes on the golf course. Two reminds me, yeah, two is really fun because you know they're kind of asking you like, do you want to take on your blind shot on the tee shot or on the second yep. shot? And you know, it's this short, maybe drivable, what three fifty maybe or so. Yeah, um, I think three fifty eight from the back, three thirty eight from the blues. And if you can get it over this bunker, it's just going to all funnel down to like you know, 30 and 40 yards in front of the green. But this green is like a picnic table. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's like, it, it's like uh, seven at Sweetens where, yeah, you know, you're going to watch your ball, like spin off the front or side or back or right. And uh, 
Yeah, two was two was a ton of fun because you have a wedge in your hands. It feels scorable if you can hit it, but then you can just laugh at yourself when you as as it's rolling back to your feet. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, three through five were just brutal. I don't have a ton except for <laughs> I got. I was playing well. I was like even through two or three or four, and then like I three putted from three feet uh, a couple <laughs> times and. Uh, the greens were so pure and the greens were really fast and slopey. I remember that stretch just kind of being like where, where you really, you know, you walk off that second green and I don't remember if it's the third tee or the fourth tee, but I, I remember yeah. one of those just kind of looking out and being like, Whoa, this place is, this place is massive. This place just goes on. Yeah. Forever. I think, I think that's the fourth tee. You get up there and that's your first real Vista of the day. You're kind of like in this the far like side of the property and you're on a really high point on this tee box which pretty much all the tee boxes you're walking up a substantial hill from yeah. the green um, but that was the first time yeah you look out and you see the clubhouse and you can see the entire course in front of you and that may that really made it a pretty unique experience for me just you know that's when you get like you slide to the panorama feature on your camera on your phone and you're like hoping it captures half of what your <laughs> eyes can see and exactly it's a real like beautiful moment up there on 40 uh before the hole punches you in the face <laughs> yes exactly three through five were like okay handshakes over the meat of the course is coming and it's going to be really difficult so some long walks in there too from what i remember what else in the front nine stood out yeah so seven and eight really stood out seven is this par five that it wasn't quite reachable it's six something i think but it kind of set the tone for the rest of the par fives. One was pretty easy, but seven and the rest of the par fives felt like really hard pars at that point. Very, very true par fives. You're standing on the tee and you're like, okay, let's go make a birdie. And I, I counted on seven. There were 16 different bunkers that you're trying to navigate. Like it's, <laughs> it's just, it's obnoxious in the best I wonder way. If Bob, if Bob was out there digging any of those, uh, you know, there probably was only supposed to be seven or eight. Maybe he was yeah. out there digging them. Oh, absolutely. And <laughs> it's, it's, you know, if you're trying to lay up to any number, you're contending with a bunker. And when you're hitting out of the fescue or even like the first cut of fescue, the first cut of rough, you know, you have no spin on the ball. You have no idea where it's going. And yeah, those stood out. The, the false fronts are bigger on the par fives. The bunkers are more menacing and yeah everything's just turned up a little more they're not scoring point. opportunities yeah they're no. they're more survivor tests with, for sure eight's another par four kind of it's a little i don't know if it's in the same place but it's almost like an inverse from what i remember of is it maybe 12 on the back nine i gotta remember yeah. what specific holes are but just these great holes where they kind of wind around these dunes and and or i don't even know if you call them dunes or hills or or what you what you would call them but it does such a cool job of kind of, you know, some holes you're going over them, sometimes some holes you're going around them, some holes you're going between them. Uh, and that was a great one of just kind of, you know, basically putting a, a massive hill between you and the tee, figuring out how much you want to try to go over it, how much you want to try to go around it. That was uh, just a really cool challenge. I think I think it was number 12 was yeah. uh, was similar, similar in the same way. Might have even been the same hill. They might run right next to each other. I got it. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, we didn't even talk about the land and, you know, supposedly why it's as absurd as it is formed by glaciers that melted. Shout out to glaciers. Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, but no, eight was, I remember on three or four, like looking over and you see this hill, you're, you're like, what hole is that? Like, when do yeah. I get to go play that hole? And it's the first, like it, this kind of ski slope where if I hit it over it and you, you know, your drive 
your drive is like 80% of the battle on that hole. You know, if you, it's a, it's a dog like left in the whole fairway and everything is running to the right. And you're going like, you're aiming over this like 14 year old four caddy kid that's sitting up there that gives you like the flag <laughs> if you did good. And really, yeah, really interesting, interesting hole. Nine, nine might be one of my favorite holes. Definitely the best, probably the best photo on the, on the course, right? Yeah. Straight downhill part three to just, you know, you got a little water in the background. You got just, it, it's a very, a very scenic shot. And the other part three is like 237 yards. So having a, <laughs> right. Having, having like a nine iron in your hand feels good for once is like, yes, exactly. Know, play between like 130 and 150, I guess. But, but also the green is completely turned up and really small sections to try to hit. Not not easy by any stretch. It's a it's an Andy Johnson potato chip green. It, it very much is. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's that's really what it feels like. It feels like nine at Chambers, kind of severely downhill. And if you miss, like, uh, Arcadio is telling us Zach Johnson got in. Like, go look up a picture of the fingers in these bunkers. Like, yes. you could if if you hit in the bunker, like a good percentage, you might not get out after a couple shots and I think Zach Johnson made like an eight. He got stuck in one of these like little <laughs> crevices in one of these bunkers and just, you could play ping pong for a long time going over that green from bunker to bunker. And yeah, nine, nine was a blast. 10 feels like you're, you know, you're on that hole for 45 minutes was kind of how I felt just straight back up the hill yeah. just forever. Uh, that was, that was a kind of kick in the teeth. Uh, I remember that one pretty vividly. 11, 12, anything to, to add on those? 10, it's nice when you get up to your ball and your caddy's like, cool, you have 250 yards in for your second shot. Yes. That was nice. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> thanks a lot, buddy. And then... There, wasn't there a kind of like a speed slot on that one too that like ultra long players could get could get down on the... I'm trying to remember. Maybe I'm, I'm misremembering that, but I thought there was a slot you could really like shoot down the hill on the right side or something like that. Oh, on 11? On 10, sorry. Oh, on 10? Yeah, on... Yeah. The only thing about 10, I remember our caddy was telling us that it's like, you know, at one point the fairway is like honestly 100 yards wide. And uh, I mean, yeah, it's really wide. But that whole any aspiration of like, cool, I just shot, you know, X on the front nine. Let's go get it on the back (laughs) nine is is just, you know, put out right there on 10. 11 is really, really fun. Uh, A shortish could be drivable par four coming down the hill again. Um, but that gets me 12 is my favorite hole. Uh, yeah, tw- that one was really stuck with me as well. I took so many pictures of 12. Just, uh, you're, you're right. Similar to eight where you're going over this massive, you know, glacial dune sort of ski slope. And, but the green is, is like carved, down between these two little dunes and it just it it sits in like such a cool place it's it's such a cool vision to put the green there and yeah i'm with you i i couldn't really put my finger on it but you just kind of come around that corner you see it you're like god that is really a handsome green that 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 looks awesome i mean it looks as natural as a hole could be like yeah we're gonna go over this and we're gonna perch down into this little green but i love holes where you look you're on the green and you look back and you're just in like yeah amazement on yep. like, how did i walk that and get like a golf ball you know manage that too so um, i feel very bad our, our caddy got hit by a golf ball in that hole oh my gosh tough. because as you as you know it's kind of a blind yeah. tee shot and uh i guess the caddy behind you know had the had the boys 
uh, firing when they should not have been firing. Just, just, I, it was crazy. I looked back. I mean, he just took it like, oh, I, I couldn't say it fast enough, but I could see it all happening in slow motion. Just comes, ball comes in slowly, right, right to the shoulder blade. Oh. It was, it was very tough, very tough. 12, 12 was so much fun. And it was one of those where, um, the guy I was playing against had like 90 yards in and I had 180 yards in and I didn't even care. Like, j like the view you have and the tiny target you're trying to, you know, toss your ball into is, it was a really fun challenge. Like I, uh, I mean, that's what I Irish golf is, right? Like, yeah, totally. Uh, exactly. That that's the best example of that. I think, uh, the next one that kind of stuck with me, I don't, I don't know about you, was 15 is probably the, yeah. you know, the one that got a lot of run during the U.S. Open, but just short four, they could move the tees all over the place. I think they, you know, you could kind of make it play as short as like 299 if the, if they moved it all the way up, uh, but it plays about 370 from the back. That's where the Kevin Na video was, yeah. which was a little unfair because he was about, you know, 70 yards left of center when he was doing that. But uh, yeah, just a really awesome hole. Like, the most menacing bunkers you've ever seen on that right side of the green. Uh, just, just nightmare shit on there, but also just, I, I love, uh, there's just so many cool slopes. 15 is a great example, but just so many cool slopes of that, that can help your ball, right? Like I, we talk about this a fair amount where, you know, when you go to Pinehurst number two, a lot of the slopes are there to, uh, hurt your ball yeah right and and to push you away from the hole when you go down the road to tobacco road a lot of the slopes are there to help you right and and there's of course two sides to all of those slopes and they can bite you as well but there are a lot of spots where at aaron hills where you know if you want to play that kind of game like you don't have to aim at the hole you can you know you can use slopes to your benefit and 15 was a really fun example of that where especially if you get that pin kind of front left there there's that little almost like mini punch bowl inside of that green which was really fun you know, I, I saw that and I wanted to play that big punch bowl, but I'm, I, so I laid up, uh, and when you lay up on 15, you're laying, like you were laying up to like 140 yes. and you're taking all the trouble out. Um, didn't can't patch can at the USAM, I think hit eight iron off the tee and laid up into a bunker and lost the match. Crazy. Uh, yeah. I think at the USAM, they moved it like way up to like 240 or way something. Up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. From the reds and, and. Yeah, so you're laying up and the target is pretty small. It's uphill. You know, you can't quite see the front of the green, but you have this punch bully on the back. And I, I think I just went too far. And this is like my one or two points of negative contention with the course is you can see the ball bounce in the fescue and know where it is and not find your golf ball. And that happened to me a couple of times, like right, right behind 15 green. I think some of that we, kind of frustrating. you know, I know it's, it's a little, we talked about it a little bit with Royal St. George's even with the yeah. open recently, but I think by all accounts, everything I've, I've heard from supers and greenskeepers and stuff is just how hard it is to maintain like that type of native area in any kind of way that, that makes it both playable, but not too wispy, but not too dense. Like to find that happy medium is apparently you know, one of the toughest things that they could possibly do. And so I just, I know it's been a crazy wet year up there. So yeah. I wonder if it's almost similar to what we saw at the open where it's like, dude, it's just, there's not much we can do. It's pretty, it's pretty out of control right now. You know, I had, I, I thought of one other similarity to Royal St. George's was the, the tee boxes, you know, imagine just like a field of fescue four feet tall. Yeah. 
and then like a 15 by 15 foot, just purely <laughs> manicured little tee box. And so every hole pretty much has that. And every hole has some sort of forced carry, whether it's a hundred yards or 150 or 200 yard forced carry just to get to like where I'm going to go find my golf ball. I could see that being pretty difficult to bring a higher handicapper out. And totally. No, I mean, it was, it, it was built for championship golf, yeah. right? I mean, it yeah. feels like it when you're out there and, and I think that's a thrill every now and again, right? I don't think it's, I don't think by any means, you know, Aaron Hills is somewhere I'd, I'd want to go play every single day. Cause I think you would just get blunt force trauma, uh, <laughs> from, from doing that. But it, it is fun to, you know, I, I don't know. We say this about all kinds of different places, but it's, it's fun to see how different the professional game is. And Absolutely. Yeah. it was, it was built for that. It was not built for resort guests. And so I could see, you know, there's going to be some pretty upset resort guests, uh, who have a pretty bad time out there. But, uh, if you, you know, I, I would say, I, I mean, the way I would kind of put it, you know, you hate to be like, I, I don't know, you hate to be elitist in this way or whatever, but like, you, I, I would, if you, if you're, I would be able to golf your ball probably if you're if you're going up to to Aaron Hills. I think For if sure. you if you want to have a good a good time, you need to, you know, be able to get it airborne consistently is a pretty good prerequisite, right? Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Also, like the ocean course kind of it reminded me of that a little bit where your view, like there's no trees, there's nothing kind of like guiding you except for the fairway and all these bunkers. And yeah, it feels like, you know, the tee shots can kind of feel pretty menacing as far as like I'm teeing up and hitting into this like open space somewhere. And I hope I go find my golf ball after this. And 15 was a blast. 16, I thought just one quick note on 16 is fun to have a blind par three in the United States. Yes. That was really cool. Definitely. Couldn't see the pin. 17, no bunkers on that hole. Dead straight, kind of boring. And then 18 is, I mean, one of the toughest finishing holes I thought that I've ever played. <laughs> Uh, watching very, these guys, very true par five. Yeah. yeah, watching these guys go flip a three wood up and eagle it real quick was, you know, I had that impression going in, like let's go birdie the finishing hole, and yeah, um, no, that did not happen. Hanging on for dear life. Well, before we wrap up here, what I mean, what was kind of your lasting impression? What's your kind of lasting uh, recommendation to to people? I know when I when I was there, weirdly, I know I keep talking about how how hard it was, and and you yeah. keep saying the same thing, but. I really wanted to go play it again immediately just because I thought there was so much interest in so many of the holes. I thought there were so many different ways you could, you could play holes. And maybe a lot of that, like I said, was just playing an up tee and, and kind of keeping the ball in play and not feeling like I was hanging on for dear life the whole day. But I just had such a blast. I was like, man, I, I, I wish I was staying longer because that's, that's the, the kind of weird part about it, right? Is it's, it's not in the middle of nowhere, but it's not, you know, it's not a destination necessarily yeah. with a bunch of critical mass where there's, you know, a bunch of restaurants and all kinds of things to do. So I think a lot of people are pretty, pretty one done, right? I mean, they, they come in and then they go off to wherever else they're going. And it was really like, that was kind of my biggest takeaway was like, man, I really want to, I want to go play that place again. And counterintuitively, I do feel like it would be a, a fun place to go play two or three times in, in the same trip rather than going to a place where you're playing two or three different golf courses. I don't know if you agree or disagree with that. No, I totally agree. And you know, the other thing they do is their little five hole whiskey loop. They call it the kettle loop. Mm -hmm. And it kind of gets to the heart of that as like, they take completely different tee boxes and you know, some cases they're making different holes out there 
and I, it sort of feels like that where you could go out and completely play a different course every time and really go right. like some of those green complexes i would love to spend 30 minutes yeah. you know just hitting different shots there's so many fun different shots you could try that you know when you go through it once you don't quite get that opportunity so yeah we saw a ton of buddies trips out there could be a fun like two three day sort of thing and they got the nice the the lighted putting course in the yeah, evening yeah. and it, it does feel like it's a cool spot i mean they, it, it feels pretty uh you feel pretty off the grid while you're there but yeah. also there's you know great lodging on site and great restaurants on site and uh all that kind of stuff so it's it's a cool it's 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 pretty unique in that it doesn't have the massive critical mass of, you know, sand Valley or something, even whistling Straits, you know, yeah. kind of those two in, in opposite directions, but it has enough. It's got it. You know, it's, it's a pretty compelling idea to go spend two or three days there. I think my two closing thoughts, one, it does feel like you're completely removed from the rest of the world. Yeah. Uh, it's a really cool, especially when you're up on top of like 15 had, my favorite, you know, one of these vistas where 15 is kind of perched in the middle of the property and you just look out and well, all Bob Lang was buying up property. So you don't see the homes that he leveled, but right. you don't see another home. Like you don't see anything yeah. else except for this incredible golf course. And so you feel like alone with the course and it's all walking this, you know, they don't even allow push carts. So um, right. There's there's so little distractions. You know, everyone's just walking and playing golf. My other lasting final thought was it's a hundred percent public golf course. There's no members, and Arcadio was telling us that he what he loves about that is that he gets to treat every person the same. Like you come, you know, we're all kind of here because we love golf, and you know, we made the trip out here, heard about it, and you really feel welcomed in a way that a lot of other, you know, private or got an invite or higher end courses, uh, or even like sometimes resort courses where it was a really authentic, like welcoming vibe from everybody. And that felt, that was a really cool uh, thing to experience for sure. That's so well said. And I think that's kind of, that's kind of what I was trying to scratch at there was it, it doesn't have the critical mass of a resort, but it also doesn't have like the downsides of yeah. feeling like a resort. And of course, you know, Sand Valley and all those like all those places are great. They're they're awesome to go spend time at. But yeah, you do feel a little more anonymous, right? When you're when you're there and there's only a fixed number of people kind of at Aaron Hills at once and it feels like it. So I, I think you hit the nail on the head there. That's that's really well said. What do you think? Does that does that do it for Aaron Hills? Anything else you got? Did you did you empty the chamber? I think so. Their practice facility was incredible. Did you see their short the caddy? Did you see their short game area? Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. Uh, did you see the caddy barn? The caddy barn is sick. Uh, fun <laughs> fact: they have printed out. I only know this. You can ask me why, but in the caddy restroom, they have all of the articles printed out. Uh, the newspaper framed. I thought that was pretty cool. That's uh, cool. Their story has like no. They're not ashamed of anything or not embarrassed about anything. Like it was, it was really cool to like you know, they were talking about it. The caddy was giving us more information and that was cool to see their story. Like, you know, something they're, you know, proud is a weird word with what happened. And no, but totally, they got the U S open. They got this relationship with the USGA. So, uh, exactly. I think that's kind of where we started. I think that can be where we ended is, is uh, what an unlikely, yeah. God, what an unlikely success story, right? Like that, the fact that the, 
you know, no matter what happened, I mean, a lot of bad stuff kind of happened along the way to make it happen, but it literally happened. It's, it's, it's crazy. I don't know if they'll ever get another men's major. I don't know if they'll, I don't know how that'll go, but I really hope they do. I mean, I, I, I loved watching that week at Aaron Hills. I know it kind of turned into a bit of a snooze just, you know, with no wind blowing. And I think it would have been a completely different place had that wind blown for all the reasons that we just spent 45 minutes talking about all the bunkers and the rough and the runoffs and the different sections of greens and the slopes and all those things would have been infinitely more of a factor if the wind was blowing and it, it wasn't. And also Brooks was, you know, kind of playing the best golf of his life. So that, that made it a little bit of a snooze too, uh, competitively anyways. And yeah, I don't know if they'll ever get another one, but I really hope they do. In the meantime, can't wait for the U S women's open there. I think that'll be really fun to see how that goes. And I can't wait to get back up there, Matt. Thank you for, uh, Thanks for talking about it. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, it was a blast. Uh, it was really cool to see it in person and, you know, watch on TV, read about it, and then go experience it for yourself. And uh, yeah, can't wait to get back. Sounds good. Well, we need to get you back in the edit bay. <laughs> so much content to, to crank out. But thank you for taking your morning to knock this out. Absolutely. Cheers. See ya.